1: We're on a wonderful journey together as a family going through a particular book written by a man named James in the Bible. And he was inspired of God to write this to people that lived back then, but to be applied by a people who live right now. That would be you and me. And we're going to learn a lot of what the Bible has to say about being wealthy. Is it right or wrong? Some people take a verse and they misquote it. And they say something like this. "Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the money is the root of all evil. And so they'll talk about how bad money is. Unfortunately, they don't know that the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. Actually, it says the love of money is a root of all evil. So it's not having money. That's not the problem. It's loving that money. And it's not the root of all evil. There's a lot in that as well but it's just a root of all evil and so what we want to do is to find out what does the Bible say about money in fact if you know something about your Bible you're going to find that there have been some very very wealthy people in the Bible Abraham was wealthy, David was wealthy, Solomon was wealthy, Job was wealthy for a time, and he lost it, and then God gave it back to him. If you move into the New Testament, you're going to find that Joseph of Arimathea, the one who owned the tomb in which he gave for Jesus to be buried in, He was a wealthy man. And there are some Bible scholars that will believe that the man Barnabas had means as well. So in the Bible, you're going to find wealthy people. And I didn't even talk about the wealthy ladies in the Bible that would be someone even similar to Lydia in the Bible. So having money is not necessarily wrong. But today we're going to learn what the Bible does have to say about it. Now, if I took you back in the Bible days, you're going to find that in the Bible days, there's a lot like different cultures are today on planet Earth. You had a very rich or wealthy status of people, and then you had very poor people. It's really only in America, in some what we might call developing countries, that you have what we might call the middle class. You have upper middle class and lower middle class, so you have the different classes. But in the Bible days, it was the wealthy getting wealthier at the expense of the poor getting poor. And so James said, you know, we've got to put a stop to this. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God wants. So he speaks to the whole issue of wealth, and when is it right, and when is it wrong. I hope that today that we're going to learn some great truths about that and find out for ourselves where does it stand. Now some of you might be thinking, well this message certainly isn't for me. I am not very wealthy. Do you know I really believe that we are wealthy. If you look at it, If you own a car, if you have an extra set of clothes, if you own your own home, then you are in that elite group of people that are wealthy. Now it is true that we can uh, look at others and they have more money than us, so we think they're wealthy and we're not. But if we did that, we could also look the other way and look at a lot of other people that have a lot less than we do. So maybe just for today, you'll just accept the fact that to some degree, you and I would fit in that realm of being wealthy, however you want to define that amount of what wealthy is being. Now I have to tell you that even though I put this message together, I am glad that James is talking about this because normally I wouldn't feel comfortable speaking on this. It's like talking about taking care of your your weight or something. People don't like to hear about weight control. They hardly like to talk about time control and they surely don't want to have someone tell them how to manage their money unless it's how to make more money. Yet at the same time, as I went through this, there were some great truths that Carol and I were going through and we thought, man, we need to have a tune-up in our own money management. And God spoke to us. So today, let's go on this journey to see what the Lord wants us to understand regarding money, wealthy. Is it right or is it wrong? So let's begin by talking about the abuse of money. We're going to talk about abusing the money and we want to avoid this. How can we abuse our money? We're going to look at four issues here. First of all is how we accumulate the money that we have. Follow along silently as I read to you verses 1, 2, and 3 because again, God is speaking to us and here's what he says. Come now, you rich. So he could be saying, Come now, you folks here at International. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Uh Uh-oh. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And then it says, You have heaped up treasure in the last days. So, what is really James teaching us here about how we're going to accumulate our money? Very simple. The Bible says, Don't hoard it. That's a good word to use, don't hoard money. When I think of hoarding money, I think of do you remember as we get at Christmas time, Scrooge and how he wanted to get more money, he'd keep that money, he wouldn't pay his, his workers appropriately. That's what I think about when I talk about hoarding money. Now let me quickly say, the Bible does not say that you should not save money. There are a lot of people today that might think that, you know, God says as soon as you get it, you gotta give it away. Well, I think it's good to give, but on the other hand, the Bible does speak about saving money. So saving money is biblical. Hoarding it is not. What's the difference? Hoarding it is like the more money I get, I like to make money, I like to have money, it's more money that I can have, so it's all about accumulating more and more wealth for the purpose of bragging rights, we might say, the comfort of security. Saving is a little bit different. Saving is more proactive so that you have money so that you can use it for the causes that God would have you to use it for. How many of you have read a story in the newspaper about an elderly person who appeared to be very, very poor, ragged clothes, they ate little food, they had not many means in their apartment, and then they find after the person dies that they have no family, when they go into the apartment, there's literally tens of thousands of dollars underneath the mattress. Well, that's a little bit like hoarding our money here. We have all of this stuff just so that we can have money, but we don't put it into circulation, we don't use it. So how does the New Testament speak about this? Well, it talks Be careful about stockpiling food or collecting more clothes or gathering more riches and jewels and precious metals. In fact, that's what this passage talks about. Let me ask you a personal question about this. What has happened when you do accumulate the things that you have? Here it is simply. The more you have, the more you have to take care of and the more that it will deteriorate. Here's a question. How many of you have clothes that might be in your closet that are getting moth-eaten or perhaps a little moldy? We all have that. How about those of you that have food that goes rotten in the refrigerator? It's it's the food that's in the back shelf. And so mainly what we're saying is the more we have, we accumulate all of this stuff and we don't really use it and eventually it becomes moth-eaten, it becomes corrupted and corroded and we really don't use it. It's because we've hoarded it all and we haven't put it into operation like we should. So again, wealth is to be circulated, not so much to be hoarded and kept and have the pride of, of ownership of how much money that we have. Let's continue with this. All right, James said this on the second issue. The second problem is how we appropriate our money. Where is, how do we get it? Look in verse 4, and here's what you read. It says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So you see, God is not only concerned about what you have, he's also concerned on how you got what you have. And he tells us, don't steal it. Basically, you have it now and don't keep it away from those to whom it is due. I ask myself, how could I steal money without actually going and taking it away from someone else? Because sometimes when we think of stealing, we think of as a child, we see money on our parents' uh, dresser there and we take it from them. Or we think of stealing when we might um, um, embezzle money from a company or we might break into a bank or something and steal money that way. Well, that's pretty really overt stealing. But there's ways that Christians do that in a very subtle way and they don't realize that they're doing that. And it's to that group that the Lord is really speaking. Here's one way you can do it. And that is simply having debt and not paying back the people you owe the money to. Now we can spend a lot of time to define what is debt. Debt is when you, ha- you owe more than what you have in assets. Some people like to do that. Other people say debt is when you owe the money and you're late in the payment. That is debt others say no it's not debt if you had an agreed upon payment plan and you're paying upon the agreed payment plan. I think the bottom line simply is this, when you owe someone else money and they don't have that money when they should have that money, that you're keeping it from them, that is a form of withholding good to those to whom it is due so debt is wrong. Another way to look at that is when you charge too much let's say that you have an automobile and you're going to charge a lot more for it than what you personally know that car is worth. Oh it might be spit shined and polished, it might have some pretty good tires on it, the windows aren't cracked, it sounds started up, but you know that it's dripping oil. You know that there is a hidden knock in there. You know that the brakes are on its last legs. You know that the transmission is grinding, but you're willing to sell it for more than what it's really worth. That's a form of stealing. Another way we can steal is when we go to work. And we know that we're supposed to put in so many hours doing the work the very best that we can. But we steal by wasting time or playing on the internet or not doing the things that we're actually hired to do in a timely manner. So we can steal money that way. And finally, we can steal money by cheating on our taxes, knowing what we should do, trying to play one against the other, thinking we won't get caught. So there's a lot of different ways that in our wealth here, we can have more wealth, but it's at the expense of a clear conscience because we've stole that. You know, you can see that even in the Bible days when it talked about owing your people money. What often would happen is when a, a man would need to have labors and he didn't have enough slaves, he would go down to the community square and he would hire these guys. And you remember some of the parables at different times during the day and he would hire them. But then sometimes these guys wouldn't pay and say, you know what, come back tomorrow. Or no, you didn't work hard enough. Or no, I saw you were a little bit lazy. You didn't do it the way I told you to do it. So they would withhold the money that was due to them and they had no recourse you can see that probably more on the mainland when you have undocumented workers. And these undocumented workers, I'm not here in this legal, illegal immigration thing, but there they are looking for a job and somebody hires them and then they won't get paid. And so here are these people that are here illegally have no recourse. But yet in their hearts, these owners of these companies have done this. And then you could look at back in our own day back in the Industrial Revolution, generally up in the steel mill plants and some of the mining that they would do, that you would then be hired as a miner. But they wouldn't pay you very much, but they would let you deduct from whatever salary you would have over at the store. So you'd have the company towns and the company stores. So pretty soon, all the workers were like indentured servants to those that were hiring them. It's to those types of people that he is speaking, how that we can slowly begin to steal. And God says that that's really wrong. So that's one way that wealth and getting wealth wouldn't be right. So be careful. Here's issue number three. It's not only how we accumulate it, don't hoard it, or how we appropriate it, don't steal it, but it's also how we allocate it. Now that we have the money, what are we going to do with the money? So it's not just having the money. It's not just how we have the money, but it's now what are we going to do with the money that we have? Look at the first part of verse five. It says this, "...you have lived on the earth in pleasure, in luxury." So James simply says, don't waste it. Now, that kind of fits our world here. We seem to have a new attitude that's really sweeping across America and it's really being infectious to those that are even younger than we are and that is this entitlement attitude that I'm entitled to have this. So if I have it, I need to take care of myself, pamper myself. If you have the money, then you really buy it for yourself. So it's always an entitlement. It's kind of spending it on yourself. Now if you have a need, we should have it. And if there's something that you can do to make your life a little bit better, of course God has given you richly all things to enjoy. But it's that entitlement thing that we have it now and we want to spend it on ourselves. Now, I'm going to take you back in time. How many of you are old enough that when we had a guilty pleasure, we would watch television shows about those people who had a lot of money and how they were able to just spend their money? Shows like Dallas and Dynasty and Falcon Crest. How many remember those shows? Would you raise your hand? How many watch those shows? Don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> But that's a guilty pleasure that we have. Who wants to watch a show that used to be called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, but they don't want to see a show now The Lifestyles of the Poor and Unknown? Who wants to watch shows like that? Well, again, it's that entitlement. I want to have it. It's a luxury. I want to have it for myself. Look at the end of verse 5, and here's what you read. It says, You have fattened your heart as in the day of slaughter. I read recently, the statistics will tell you that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they'll call it that Christmas holidays, that America puts on an average of two extra pounds during that time of the year. Now, I don't know if those statistics are right. I really think it's more than that, don't you? But whatever the case is, we just seem to kind of fill up on all the luxuries of life. And again, having wealth is not wrong. It's how we have it and what we do with it that could make it right or wrong as we would use it for the glory of God. So issue number one is how we accumulate it, don't hoard it. How we appropriate it, don't steal it. How we allocate it, don't waste our money. God has given us this money as a tool to build his kingdom with by helping build up the body of Christ and reaching the lost. Well, here's number four, and that is, the issue is, how do we apply it? In this verse, it's more subtle in here. It says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. That would be those that are just and those are the people that have money that are abusing those people. And so what's the the crime in here? It's having this and having this influence and then abusing it. Now, young people, when many of us were younger, they used to have kind of a, I guess it was a social norm that on Sundays you couldn't buy and sell certain commodities in certain stores. And then they would tell you couldn't do this and then you couldn't do that. When I was younger... I also like to listen to rock and roll music, just like probably every other normal kid. I wasn't saved, and that was my little escape. I was doing my little different-than-my-mom-and-dad kind of music stuff. But I remember on Sunday, because it was kind of like our day, homework was done, we didn't do very much as a family, didn't go to church, of course, so I couldn't wait to listen to rock and roll music. But the policy was, or whatever the guidelines of the moray in South Florida was, they would not put rock and roll music on the air until noon on Sunday. Every station that they had in Miami, they had all kinds of stations, but there was no rock and roll music until church was over at noon. So I would kind of bite my tongue. So I'd turn on my radio as soon before noon as I could so that when the rock and roll music would be on, I'd hit it running. I can remember as I stand before you here today that every Sunday they had this infomercial on the radio on this particular rock and roll station. And this little infomercial began with this one phrase. It went like this. People aren't important. It's the people who have money that are important. And then they would go through the deal. You would wonder why I didn't buy into that. Somehow God in His grace protected me from that. But I still remember that. People aren't important. It's the people who have the money that are important. So let's go back to this passage here. God says there's nothing wrong with the money that you have and the riches that you have. Now he talks about not abusing this. There was a book written by Richard Foster. It's called Money, Sex, and Power. And he says that money has a lot more power than simply buying power. That it really has what is known as influence. And if you think with me for just a moment, people sometimes who are not spirit-filled, that they have a lot of money, that those people can often use their money to do two things. Number one, they can use that money to manipulate other people or they can use that money to intimidate other people. You get involved in church work over a longer period of time, you can see that as well. Sometimes people have great means and they really don't want to give money just to the general fund that pays for the electric bill and some of the salaries. They hold back that money, but they'll give to every other cause and they'll kind of fix up everything, but they don't give to the regular amount. That's kind of like little manipulation. They want their money to be used for what they want, but not so much for just the goose, so to speak. They want to make sure that the goose house looks real pretty. And so again, you can use your money for manipulation or intimidation instead of bringing Glory to the Lord. I like the way Phillips translates this, and here's how he says it. We have condemned and ruined innocent men, and they are powerless to stop you. So it's very dangerous if we're going to take that and then use it to manipulate someone else. The consequences are horrible. Well, that's about the abuse of money. Let's quickly go into the use of our money. We talked about how to avoid these things. There's four areas. How to accumulate it, don't hoard it. How to appropriate it, don't steal it. How to allocate it, don't waste it. How to apply it. Don't abuse it. I want to move more quickly though into the positive realm because this is what's really going to take us to the next level. But if we do this, remember that you've got to have a balance. If you do the second half of this, while at the same time you're doing the first half of it, you're going to be conflicted on the inside, there'll be inner tension, you won't have integrity, and you really won't accomplish the goals that you want. So yes, avoid these that we talked about. Now let's embrace these. What are they? So how do you accumulate wealth correctly? So how do I get it? Number one. How do you accumulate it? Here's the verse. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So a wise man recognizes that all that he has from the Lord is something God has given to him, and he's going to save it appropriately. The foolish man takes it and spends it almost as rapidly as he gets it. I like Proverbs 30, verse 24, that says, Consider the ant and how he stores up for the winter. Even little ants that have never gone to ant investment school, they're smart enough by God's divine plan in them to store up for the winter. Now he's programmed them and it would be good for us to go back to the animal and insect world to see how they do this. Take it into the aviary world with the birds... You will see how they will save it up. Yet we have all these as our examples, and then God teaches us this, but we don't apply it. As soon as we get it, we have it for a little bit, but almost as soon as we can, the latest bells and whistle, we want to upgrade this and upgrade uh, that instead of taking what God has for us. I got some statistics. Here's what I came up with. They said that on the average, Americans save 4% of their income. It would be interesting to see how many of you might save Your income, how much of it you save. They said average is 4%. The Europeans save 16% of their income. But this was the most surprising according to the statistic to me. They said that the Japanese save 25% of their income. And so perhaps, I don't know what your culture is and I can't speak into that. I'm just telling you what statistics. But if they are true, it could be wise for us to maybe look at some of them. And look at some of the Asian communities that today are more wealthy even though they started with a lot less and how much they even own here on the island because of their wise use of their money. How much they did without, they drove the less cars, they wore the less clothes because they were investing for the future and they had more for them. Some of you that might be married to someone of an Asian descent and ethnic group, you might understand maybe a little bit more why they're so protective of the money. That's just somehow it's inside them for so many generations. Be that as it may, the Bible still says that we should save. How important that it is for us to do that. And I think that would be something for us to remember. Someone shared with me that there are so many parables that Jesus spoke and so many of those parables, not all, but many of them talked about the wise use of, of the resources that you have so some of you are saying okay I hear that pastor I really do need to save in fact I want to save and I try to save how can I what are the keys to saving now you probably can go to a lot of investment seminars but I'd like to suggest two ways if you just took two take two baby steps but you own these no matter the cost no matter what you do without I believe you'll be on the right road to saving properly here's number one live on a margin Now, what do I mean by live in a margin? That means you set up a little bit of a budget right here and you live on less. I read a book recently I thought was so important. It was talking about how much is enough for those of us that are trying to earn more and earn more and earn more. Where is the threshold when we finally say, you know what, I don't need any more raises. I have enough to live on, to save on, and to to do what I need to do. How much is enough? So learn to live in a margin. Probably you've heard the name of John D. Rockefeller. Here's what he wrote. He said, here's what he suggests... ...on how you can get more money and develop your savings. Here's what he said. He said, save 10%, give 10%, and then live on the 80%. I think he has it almost right. The biblical way to do that is not save 10%, give 10%, and live on the rest. The Bible says to give first, then save, and then live on the rest. And I think that if you just embrace that margin... And you taught your kids to live on that margin. Now, there may be other little formulas, but I know this one does work and will work for you. And start it right now. Even if it means doing without on littler things that you might have. Give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. And if you have to downside some stuff so you can live on that 80%, then do it. So learn to live on a margin. Find the margin that works for you where you're giving, saving, saving and of course living on whatever's less. The second one is to learn to be content. That's a hard one right there because there is so much coming from the secular world of philosophy that what you have is not good enough so you have to have more, you have to have something better, you have to have the latest. And if you want to know what's the greatest enemy to contentment, it, it's the A word. The greatest enemy to contentment is the word called advertisement. That's our greatest enemy. I read this from a friend who said this. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Let me do that again. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. When I was preparing for this, the morning newspaper came to the Ponds house this morning. It came with a thud on our sidewalk. And so I thought, interesting, I'm going to speak in advertising. Let me just see with our Sunday newspaper. So Carol brought it in, she was outside, and so she says, look at it. So I took the newspaper and I divided it up between news sections all shapes and flavors, advertisements, shapes and flavors, and one more section. Now, in my best evaluation of our own newspaper that is now thrown against us to help us fail in the area of contentment, here's what I came up with. There are nine sections of news, even if it includes travel, 21 inserts of advertisement, nine news, 21 inserts of advertisement, And the most important, one set of comics. But anyway, apart from that, I want you to know that again, that it's coming up against us to try to help us to think that what we have is not good enough. And it really hurt us. So what's the purpose for us to save? Now again, you have the secular worldview and you have the Christian worldview. This is the secular worldview for saving money. They now will tell you because it sounds so good. You need to have security. You need to prepare for now and in the future because, here's the phrase, you don't know what's going to happen. Now, all of that is true. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to my car. I don't know what's going to happen to our house. I don't know what's going to happen to any investments that I have. I don't even know what's going to happen to my job or my health or anything else. I don't know that. So I need to prepare for the future. Well, that's not entirely wrong. But sometimes what we've done is we have put God over to the side and says, I have to take care of my security for my future. And all of a sudden, it's resting on us. So if something happens, then all of a sudden our security starts shaking and then we start having some problems because it's all about taking care just in case something happens. So then we throw out, give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. We don't then live up to that because of the security issue. I'm going to tell you right now, I can't guarantee... If I will have my house, my clothes, my wife, I can't even protect my reputation. It's going to be out there. But the one thing that I can be secure in is this. And that is my intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing has to change that. And my God says this. That when I choose to live according to the scripture, by his power, for his glory, in his timing, God says, all your needs will be met. Now and even in the days of your retirement. And so my security is found in Christ.
0: This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.